365. G'day, g'day, NFL 365 fans, and welcome back to another episode. I am David Tashin, alongside Ryan Martin, as always, and today we got another special guest. We got Ethan Hurwitz from Gillette Nation, the Instagram account with over 20,000 followers. And on today's episode, we talk a little bit about the future of the Patriots, talk about the Super Bowl, and we also have a special guest of Ryan and I's good friend, Seth Fromwitz. So be sure to listen to the episode. And welcome back to NFL 365, where we have another awesome guest joining us today, Ethan Hurwitz, owner of Gillette Nation on Instagram, covering the Patriots for a couple of years now. Uh, Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing well. Um, other than the fact that, you know, this kid's with me. I'm, I'm doing uh, Quick shout out to uh, Ryan and his very good friend, Seth Fromwitz, for also making an appearance. <laughs> a very special guest, one of a kind guest, some might say. Big shout out. Both these boys are actually roommates at Quinnipiac. So, what are the I'm odds of that? I'm not oh, his you're roommate. not his roommate. Mike's his roommate. Also I'll be his roommate next year. Next I'm the roommate. year. Next year. Next year. All righty. So, let's get right into the interview. So, Ethan. Tell us about yourself and Gillette Nation. How did it start? What made you decide to start a, an Instagram page for the Patriots? It's so weird because when people ask me this, I feel like so embarrassed by it because there's literally not a cool story about it. It's um, right after the Patriots won the Super Bowl against the Rams. I decided, you know what? I'll just start an Instagram page because I know too much about the Patriots to just keep it locked up in my head. Um so, you know, I tried other Instagram pages with, with like, my friends, and um, they didn't really work out. We just, like, forgot the password and, and whatever. Um, and so they didn't, they didn't really work out. But, um, you know, after the Super Bowl, I was sort of just on that, like, Super Bowl, like, high of, you know, rewatching the game over and over again and, and decide to know, uh, you know what, just just make this page. And it sort of just took off immediately. And um so yeah, we're I'm somewhat nearing my my third year doing it, and we're over twenty one thousand followers. So I feel like that's a it's a it's a, it's a good start. Um, but I mean, there's nothing really special about me. I'm just like a, a college kid that knows way too much about the Patriots to people 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 consider me some sort of celebrity on Instagram, and I, I don't really view it that way. Yeah, well, we'll yeah. test that knowledge of the Patriots right here. Uh, definitely, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more here. So let's go back to about a year ago, off season twenty twenty one. Brady winning his seventh ring now, first year away from Bill and the Patriots. Uh, and a 7-9 Patriots team spends $163 million in guaranteed money. Get a draft class that includes uh, some guy named Mac Jones, some running back named Ramondre Stevenson. Going into this year, this is a really weird team, a lot of unknowns. What were your expectations for this team? So my expectations were, um, you know, better than last season. Um, but I was one who, going into training camp, and going into week one of, of the preseason was I was all in on Cam Newton as a starting quarterback. I was, you know, I, I know it's, it's, it's bad now, but, um, you know, looking back, I was like, I didn't really, you know, Mac might be pro ready, but I'd rather, you know, roll the dice with Cam. He's been here a full year. Um, you know, the whole argument was he had no weapons, um, in, in 2020. So, you know, you finally gave him weapons. Um, so my, my expectations were, you know, around nine and eight, 10 and seven, Cam Newton bounce back year. And then after that, you don't re-sign Cam Newton and you have Mac Jones for the foreseeable future. And then, 
you know, it was around that. And then once I cut cam, I was like, okay, obviously they're, what are you doing? They're obviously very into to Mac. So, you know, my expectations were, okay, maybe they're not going to be 10 and seven. Maybe it's going to be, you know, eight and not the schedules keep throwing me over, but eight and nine, nine and eight around that time, you know, as sort of just like a building year. Um, so those are my, my expectations going into it. Um, and then those expectations quickly changed once, once, once it all started. Yeah. Getting into that, once it all started, uh, you just guys started two and four, but then the Patriots go on a seven game winning streak heading into their bye week, both their offense and defense found their groove. Obviously their offense was averaging astonishing 42 points a game and their defense shutting it down with only allowing just around 10 a game. But what changes did you see specifically on offense and defense that weren't there the first couple of weeks of the season? So I saw that Mac got more comfortable. Obviously, it's his rookie year, so he's not going to look fully 100% in terms of knowing the playbook and knowing the offense. But, you know, those first few weeks, he he had good command, but he just, you know, they, they kept the playbook limited. Um, you know, they weren't going to open up for him too early. Um, so I saw, you know, after that, like, Cowboys game, um, the overtime one where, you know, the offense started to roll in that game. They kept up with them. You could see more and more of the offense being being utilized, um, you know, more like more motions, um, like pre-snap. Um, and then the defense, I don't really know what clicked, whether it's, you know, getting their feet wet, you know, Dante Hightower finally returning and getting into his whole old self or, you know, maybe just like a mix of like weaker offenses that they played in the middle of the season. But it was like everything was going right at the, the right time for them. Um, you know, I mean, I'm certainly like it's the season's disappointing at the end, but you know, that middle stretch of what they, they changed was I, I saw Mac Jones improve and obviously he's, he's still got a ways to go. Um, I know I'm sort of rambling on, I don't really know what else to say, but um, you know, it's, that's basically it. They, they, they let Mac be more comfortable within the offense. Yeah. You mentioned that defense just somehow found its groove. All of a sudden you have a bye week and that defense loses its groove real quick. Um, they finished the year coming off the bye one and four, including bad losses to the Colts, Dolphins, lost another season to the Bills, lost in the playoffs to the Bills. Uh, that defense, as Tash mentioned, that allowed just about 10 points a game. That ballooned to 37.5 over the last five games of the season. Where did this defense fall apart after the bye? Was it injuries in the secondary? Was it just a mental lapse? What happened? I think it was everything. You know, a Judon wasn't 100%. And, you know, during their seven-game win streak, win streak he was he was on he was on his game um so you know whether he was bagged up he was dealing with COVID still um he just wasn't his his full self um towards the, the stretch run um you know again secondary injuries hurt you know you were relying on on practice squad guys to fill the role of, uh, of Jonathan Jones who, who went down with shoulder surgery um it was it, they were in such a groove and then they just hit like a wall and it was it was really confusing to watch because maybe it was just you know veterans on defense getting tired, um, you know long season. It, it was really confusing because you know you were in like just before you were like this team could you know rattle off a few more games and and make a run in the playoffs, and now you're sitting there after the Dolphins game where the defense just looked just bad, and you're like, well, what's next for this team? And it's it was really confusing because I still don't really understand it. They, they came out of the bye and they just looked like a completely different defense. Yeah. And I mean, looking back on the Patriots season, I mean, considering they have a rookie quarterback and 
considering we didn't really know what to expect out of this Bill Belichick-led team, I would consider this season that much of a loss considering how Mac Jones played during that seven-game winning streak. But what do you see some names the Patriots attack this free agency starting February 3rd? I don't I don't know if they're going to do more of a like a free agency that, that they had last year. They have, as of right now, I think like $4 million in cap space. So obviously that's not enough to go out and get like a Devontae Adams or a Chris Godwin. Um, but I think they're going to spend most of their money just keeping the players that they have now for the free agency. I really don't think they're going to go out and, and spend a bunch of money on, you know, those other guys. I think they're going to try to fill the needs that they have from the guys that they know. So that is keeping um, Jay Jackson, um, you know, re-signing Jacoby Myers, re-signing James White, Ted Karras, um, Devin McCourty, if he doesn't retire, Matthew Slater, if he doesn't retire. Um, so I think they're, it's going to be a complete 180 from what they did last year. And I think they're going to spend a lot of the money that they have on players that are going to be hitting free agency rather than going out and spending millions of dollars on other players. So I know it doesn't really answer your question, but I don't really see them going after like big name guys. If anything, they'll go for like a, a depth linebacker, a, a depth offensive tackle that they'll probably get cut in the, in the summer. Um, but just that to be like a camp body. Yeah, you mentioned changing their offseason strategy. That makes the draft that much more important. Uh, if you're the Patriots right now, looking at your needs, how much more do you prioritize, you know, new, faster, uh, younger players on defense compared to getting maybe Mac Jones, another weapon on offense, maybe a true wide receiver one? Where does that prioritization kind of come in? So I saw this thing where it's everyone, everyone wants Mac Jones. I, every, every Patriots fan going into the offseason wants a number one receiver. And it's really confusing because it's like they're it, they're expecting to just, you know, grab Michael Thomas out of a, a, a magic hat and, and just pull Devontae Adams out of, out of nowhere, which it's completely unrealistic. Um, I think the receivers are fine. Their receivers are not the best in the league, but the receivers are a good enough group in which you can have Mac Jones succeed. Whether um, if you want to spend your first round pick on a receiver, that's great. But I think there are other needs on the team rather than a receiver. I think Kendrick Bourne has done a great job. Nelson Aguilar, you know, he, he was off and on, but I think maybe another year, you know, he, he could improve. Jacoby Myers was his regular self, um, you know, and hopefully those tight ends, you know, factored a little bit more in the passing game. And I'm, I'm just one that always says you build your offense through free agency and you build your defense through the draft. And I think especially in the playoff game, the defensive line and the linebackers were old and slow and, exhausted from the entire season so I think you just got to spend your first few picks on on front seven guys a, a, a someone a run stopper you know a linebacker that can cover the pass um so I think whether what whether it's nice what like if you want to get a receiver in round one that's great hopefully it'll help the offense but I think the defense towards the end of the year was what was most glaring I think that's what's got to be addressed in round one yeah you're not going to win too many playoff games getting up 47 points uh in round one Talking about a lot of changes coming this offseason, there's going to be some new faces making those decisions. Dave Ziegler out as Bill's right-hand man in New England, becoming the new GM in Las Vegas. You know, Ethan, a lot of casual Patriots fans, Dave Ziegler does not ring a bell in their head with that name. Uh, but how big of a loss is he for the Patriots? And what does it mean for this organization going forward? So I think one thing about the Patriots and how they run their, their front office is they give all the, the people that work there these like random, random like positional roles so he was like the director of player development or something random he was basically their general manager 
Um, you know, he basically, he basically worked on like the cap and, and like free agency and, and, and making that roster. So he was basically their general manager, whether, you know, obviously he doesn't have the title general manager. So people aren't going to be like, Oh, that's a bigger loss, but it's a pretty big loss because, you know, he would go and do a lot of the, the scouting for them. Um, and, and sort of manage the behind the scenes stuff that puts this, the team on the field. Um, so they have some guys within the, um, within their, um, their front office, like Elliot Wolf, who my guess would be, he gets promoted, but you know, it's a pretty big loss. Um, you know, Dave Ziegler, he's going to, he's probably gonna do a great job in Vegas. Um, you know, they got some good, the good pieces to build around. And then Josh McDaniels, who, uh, he's got to inherit a weird Las Vegas team, but it's, it's a big loss. And, you know, some of the changes are going to be on the coaching staff. So it's, it's going to look a lot different. Yeah, and getting into Josh McDaniels, uh, now he's the head coach for the Raiders. How will the system look fitting into this Raiders situation? I mean, not only the situation, but their players. Obviously a bit different than the Patriots. Uh, and where do the Patriots look to keep developing Mac Jones and look for a new offensive coordinator? Who do you think it's going to be? Do you think – like, what do you think? So I really wanted to keep McDaniels. And I know everyone's – either loves McDaniels or hates him because people only consider him to be as good as the last game that he called. So, you know, he'll third and eight, he'll run a screen to Brandon Bolton. He won't go anywhere and people will be calling for his head. And then the next week he'll, you know, call a great offensive game plan. They'll win by 30 points and everyone's gonna be like, oh, he's the next head coach. So everyone's super like anti um, Josh McDaniels or pro Josh McDaniels. And I, I was super, you know, I was leaning to the side of pro because, you know, he helped develop Mac Jones into the quarterback that he is, at least right now after year one. Um, you know, just another year of that development. He was probably like the best guy to help Mac Jones develop. Um, you know, he's sort of the same type of quarterback as Tom Brady in the, the pocket passer. Uh, and Josh McDaniels had been doing that for like 20 years. Um, so it's, it's a big loss. Um, obviously, they're going to have some other people to replace um, but offensive coordinator, because he was the quarterback's coach too. He was in the quarterback room with, with Mac Jones every day. Um, so the people that I expect to at least be, have their names somewhat in the running, um, probably be Bill O'Brien, who's probably my favorite coordinator option right there. And people are, eh, I don't want Bill O'Brien because the, the debacle that he had in Houston. But, you know, he was a coach at Alabama for the last two years. Um, he's also been the offensive coordinator for the Patriots. So that's perfect. If you want to work on the Patriots and then Mac Jones developing him, um, you know, Alabama sort of ran a bunch of the plays that new England had run when Bill O'Brien was the coach in, in new England around 2010, 2011. So that, that, that's probably the, the main person that I want. Some other names I've seen thrown out there are receivers coach, Troy Brown, um, Vinny Sunsuri, who was the assistant running back coach, which that would be a, weird promotion but um wouldn't it no. be more likely that he gets promoted to uh lead running back coach if Ivan right. retires yeah right retire but um no i think they're gonna i think for the head offensive coordinator they're gonna go for someone outside the the organization and not pro, promote from within so i think the top two right now would be bill o'brien or adam gase because bill belichick loves adam gase yeah it's definitely going to be an interesting situation to see who fills in for mcdaniel's now to finish it up, this is going to be a little less Patriots question, more football question. This can be answered by all three of the boys on your Zoom call, including maybe Seth. Uh, not sure what his answer is going to be, but who do you have in the Super Bowl and why? 
You want to go first? All right, I'll go first. Um, I think it's going to be the Rams. Bit of, I think it's a bit too obvious that it's going to be the Rams, but I think, you know, all season, everybody's, you know, saying this Bengals offensive line sucks. They're absolutely garbage. Like, they don't protect Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow needs an offensive line. And while he does still put up incredible numbers uh, with the offensive line he has, he has not played the Rams defense. So I think, I think, you know, he could get around a terrible offensive line against, you know, just about every team in the AFC. But when you have Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and the Rams defense coming at you, it's it's a lot different. It's pretty scary. <laughs> I mean, I did see Joe Burrow play in person this year once. It was on Halloween. It was at Meadowlands. And obviously the Jets' elite defense could not – could stop him as Mike White sealed the deal with quite the game. That was one of the best football games I've watched. Mike White built different. That's all I have that to say. There you go. Yeah. Uh, quick shout out to the Jets there. Uh, you know, if the Bengals win, the Jets technically beat the Super Bowl winner is all I'm saying. Exactly. Exactly. Even- the Patriots beat the Jets. So the Patriots, yeah, that's the Patriots too much won the Super Bowl. Too much yeah, no, too much Matt. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Too much, much Matt. Yeah. yeah um, math. So for who I think is going to win the Super Bowl, I think the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl, but my heart really wants the Bengals to win. The Bengals are just so likable. Joe, Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty, awesome quarterback, um, awesome dude. The fact that they said they're going to win it for Harambe makes it even better. Um, that's just it's it's great. You know, I've been to Cincinnati for a Patriots game. The city's a dump. It is the stadium is the grossest stadium I've ever seen. It's a slab of of concrete. There's nothing to do. Cincinnati is not an enjoyable city. However, if the Bengals win. Maybe, you know, it takes a step up and they'll have more exciting things in Cincinnati. Um, but, yeah, my heart wants Cincinnati, but my brain is going with the Rams, that offense with Cooper Cup and the elite Sony Michelle. Um, and and so my, my heart says Bengals, my brain says Rams. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, sorry, Ryan, but this, this Bengals team's kind of became America's team. Everybody loves Shiesty. Everybody loves that they're winning it for Harambe. Like, how can you not love this team? Like, Joe Burrow is such a likable guy. He's, yeah. It, it, it's like the most likable Super Bowl. He did what everyone asked him to do. Right. He ended the reign of Jackson Mahomes. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Couldn't have said it better. Right. Like, it's the most likable quarterback matchup in the most, like, in the last, like, 10 years for the Super Bowl. It's either Joe Burrow wins, and he's the quarterback of the new America's team, or Matt Stafford finally wins after 15 years in, in the hellhole of Detroit. Um, so it's it's either quarterback wins, like, it's a feel-good story. It's a win-win situation. We got 10 more days to figure it out. 10 more days can't come soon enough. Uh, we'll be Stafford, Burrow, we'll have to see. But anyways, once again, thank you so much to Gillette Nation's Ethan Hurwitz, Seth, Mike, and the boys back at the dorm for joining us here today. It's a pleasure hearing you, your story, and talking some past. <laughs> glad, glad to be here. It's been a pleasure, guys. Beautiful to catch up with you again. <laughs> hey, special thanks to Ethan Hurwitz for coming on to uh, NFL 365. Definitely uh, 
I don't, I'm sure you'd like to say this, Ryan, but a bright future for the Patriots and quite incredible work he's doing for Gillette Nation. You guys should definitely go check him out there at Gillette Nation. Uh, uh, Ryan, it's got to be pretty cool being a Patriots fan, hearing all he's got to say. It does, yeah. I agree with him about what he's got to say about some changes needed on the defense uh, and really just some new guys brought in to speed up this D and uh, keep it going. So we'll see. I do think it's a bright future for the Patriots. Some older guys here, we'll see what they make decisions with on them. But overall, when you got Mac Jones, the future does look bright here in Foxborough. I'd say more Bill Belichick, but I mean, you, you can say what you want to say. But heading into Ryan, we are spoiled with this year's playoffs. Let's be honest. We are absolutely spoiled. So I got to watch this. Let's just say this weekend's playoffs from quite different uh, quite a different place. I don't know if I've ever watched football before. First, I was delayed in an airport for the first for the Bengals game. And then what worked out perfectly is I boarded my plane at seven o'clock on the dot or six fifty, which was the exact time that the Rams game was. So I got to watch one game in an airport, one game in 3000 feet in the air. So that was pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. I think I've, I've watched, we usually go down to uh, Florida around February, right around now, heading there in about two weeks. So I have watched a Pro Bowl, I think, there before. Yeah. That, that sounds familiar. But um, I got the pleasure of watching it in my room alone uh, due to COVID protocols. Still, I had COVID last weekend. So mm. that was me in my room, just me and football. It was a, it was a good way to pass the time. Yeah, uh, being a two-time COVID survivor, I can relate. Those uh, quarantine days passed by a little quicker with uh, football, and uh, I'm glad you got to enjoy it. I'm glad you're here talking to us today, Ryan. Of course, of course. Nothing, nothing too bad. Um, we can start, though, with that first game, crazy game in the AFC Championship game. We didn't know, could the Chiefs prevail one more time uh, at home? We'll look up a couple of stats right here to keep going, but could the Chiefs do it at home? Could the Bengals? Uh, pull off the upset. It looked like David in that first half it would have been all Chiefs, but just like when they met earlier, earlier this year, uh, that second half comeback by Cincinnati was just brutal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, heading into this game, I felt everyone knew. Everyone wanted the Bengals to win, but it, it was one of those situations where you're rooting for the underdogs. Nobody really thought they were going to win. Going into the game <laughs> down 21-3 to at half in Arrowhead, I mean – Ryan, we all know those odds were very unlikely. Let's see. Going into halftime, Kansas City had a uh, 90, 94% chance of winning the game with ESPN probability. And I, just who day is all I got to say. Who day, who day, who day. What a comeback by Joe Burrow in this incredible team, this underdog team. And I was saying this last week. They're literally becoming America's team. Every, Nobody can find a way to hate Joe Burrow. It really is. It's exciting to watch. Um, yeah, we mentioned 21-10 going into that halftime lead. You do, if you recall that game, I remember pretty easily because it was all I had to focus on. But uh, the Chiefs had a field goal opportunity late in that uh, first half. They tried to go for a touchdown uh, to make it what would be a 18-point lead and put the game even farther out of reach. They push it, no field goal, no touchdown, no more points in that first half. Uh, and then the game ended up going to overtime. Went to overtime, yeah. and I think the way we just saw this Bengals defense start to click in that second half, because one thing you know is you know the Chiefs are going to bring it um, on offense. And they're going to bring it on offense. 
your defense can just try and catch up a little bit enough so your offense can start putting points on the board, which is exactly what happened here. Um, then you're in trouble with the Chiefs. I think that's how they found a way to win this game. They forced uh, Patrick Mahomes into some bad plays, some punts finally in that second half uh, by Tommy Townsend. And uh, the dagger ended up being Mahomes' interception on the first drive of overtime. You know, he tried to throw it to Tyreek Hill, double coverage, good pick by the Bengals. And all they had to do was get it about 30 yards for a field goal. They did that. So I was really impressed, David, not by Joe Burrow. I, Joe, Joe Shiesty played great. But this Bengals defense is really the story of this game. Yeah, I definitely think Joe, even though Joe Shiesty is getting a lot of credit, I definitely think we need to look back at this Bengals defense and, Really, they played a heck of a game this second half and overtime. I mean, Joe Bur- or Patrick Mahomes' first throw should have probably been intercepted by uh, Eli Apple. It wasn't. Next play, Von Bell got the huge pick. But heading into that, or talking about that, uh, Kansas City down to the goal line. There was eight seconds left. They could easily – they also had a timeout. Eight seconds left. They could have easily ran two plays. Mahomes hesitates, then goes for a screen to Tyreek where there were two guys there and the clock ended that alone, just that touchdown or field goal there, whole different game, but you know, uh, not the best of clock management by Mahomes in this uh, Andy Reid led offense, but yeah, what a win. What a game, Ryan. What playoffs. What it's, playoffs it's have we had? Evan McPherson, too, has been fun to watch for the Bengals. I mean, we don't say that a lot about a kicker, but he's really just been ice in his veins. Um, but, yeah, this Bengals defense coming out of half. First drive, a punt for the Chiefs. Next drive, a punt. Next drive, an interception. Next drive, a punt. Next drive, a punt. And then a field goal, finally, by Kansas City. They outscored Kansas City in that second half, 14-3 uh, to three in that second half um, to – uh, really just, you know, try and get back in this game, which is what they did. Um, yeah, that defense is scary. I agree. America's team, you, you can't hate on Joe Burrow. They're just too young, too exciting. It's too fun to watch them play, the Bengals. Yeah, and I know we're going to get into this a little later with uh, Tom Brady retiring and all, but the future of the NFL, we just watched these two games, uh, these, this, these two quarterbacks – the future of the NFL is in very good hands. Obviously, it seems that Patrick Mahomes is leading the way. I mean, obviously, considering what he's been able to do in his three years, what is it, four years now as a starting quarterback, this is the first year he fell short of the Super Bowl, obviously lost in overtime in the AFC Championship. I wouldn't consider that a technically a loss of a season. Uh, but, yeah. This is, this is his fourth year as a starter. First one he lost in the playoffs, second and third made it to the Super Bowl, and then yeah, this one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah, still in such an impressive performance by such a young quarterbacks, both young quarterbacks, and Mahomes still had a quite the game. Other than his two picks, he threw for two seventy five and three touchdowns. But oh my gosh, Ryan, we are just so spoiled with these playoffs. Uh. Another thing that I want to touch on is the way that Joe Burrow is so comfortable in these difficult away environments. I mean, Arrowhead is not an easy place to play in. No, it's not. It really isn't when you talk about, um, you know, some of the records they've even set for crowd noise, crowd fan. I mean, Arrowhead's a scary place to play in the playoffs, which is why I think when Kansas City has been able to host these playoffs over the last couple of years, they've had so much success. They found themselves 
in the Super Bowl uh, last two years because of that. I think that's a big factor. Bengals as a whole, as you mentioned, led by that cool, confident Joe Burrow. It it really it's contagious. Um, when you have that confidence going in, this is a young team remember that shouldn't be here. Zach Taylor was on the hot seat after week three, um, and so they really just kind of threw caution against the wind. And as you mentioned, that that confidence really carrying over. Um, so it was good to see. Um, it was a good win for them. And then how about the Rams too? We'll get into that now a little bit. Rams, Bengals, Rams pull off a big win. Uh, at home against San Fran, David, it looked like the game was almost slipping away from them. Um, but they're not, not slipping away, I should say. They were able to come back in that second half, kind of like the Bengals did against the 49ers. Yeah, um, this was another good one. I, I, I know it didn't sound like a broken record now, but these playoffs, man, Ryan, these playoffs, uh, both these teams in the Super Bowl now with the uh, the Rams and the Chiefs are just so such fun teams to watch. Obviously, everybody loves Matt Stafford. Everybody loves Joe Shiesty. Um, back-to-back Super Bowls with a home team playing at their home stadium. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it took us, what, 54 years for it to ever happen. Now it happens twice in two years. Um, but one thing that we can note, too, did you see the attendance at SoFi Stadium for the Rams? It looked yeah, like it, it, looked it was like a 49ers, 49ers game. And what did you hear what the did you hear what the Niners did or the Rams did? They blocked out tickets so only people in certain zip codes could try and buy them. Really? It still didn't work. It still did not work at all. Uh but yeah, heading into or talking about what you were saying before, it looked like this game was going to be the Niners. They were up, what was it, 17 10? I think it was 17 17-7, 17-7, heading into the fourth quarter. Then Jimmy G, he's he just fell apart. And it's as simple as that. Uh, no other way to put it. Guy just could not get it done when it mattered. Uh, yeah. No, I think their defense really started to click um, in the second half, which is what you wanted to see from the Rams. Um, overall, I think Stafford started to look more comfortable at home, too. Found Cooper Cup a lot of times. He had a big game, as we kind of anticipated, 11 142 and two touchdowns for Cooper Cup. Um, and then Matt Gay sealing it away, which I think is kind of an underrated factor with both of these teams in the Super Bowl now. Rams with Matt Gay and Bengals with Evan McPherson. If you have a good kicker, it takes so much pressure off your offense, um, which is what we've seen with the two teams now playing for the biggest game of the season. So good win for the Rams. Um, finally, you know, I think it was like they were 0-6 against the 49ers in the last six games or something like the 49ers had their number, including this year, um, mm-hmm. with two of the Rams' five losses all year coming to these 49ers. They got it done in the biggest game. Sean McVay, Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup going to the Super Bowl. I'm going to be excited to see it. I'm going to be very excited to see this. And uh going to be very excited to see the Super Bowl. But another – Debo Samuel is just incredible, man. Mm. Debo Samuel is one of these guys where – even that his touchdown, what was it, a 45-yard or whatever, he, it was really just a screen pass, and then he was wide open down the field. He's so hard to catch. He's fast. He's agile. He's got all the tools. Uh, he's got all the tools in the world, and he's such a talented player. And I feel like he, considering all that he did with this Niners offense, which – I mean, brought them to an NFC championship game where I didn't feel that they were that talented. It's very impressive. 
No, this was also, I mean, talk about the Wonder Bengals. This was a Wonder 49ers team. Um, they had an incredible kind of last couple of games to get to this point, knocking off the Packers, knocking off the Cowboys, beating that Rams team in week 18 to make the playoffs. So uh, a good year for the 49ers. It looks like they might move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll have to wait uh, for the offseason to see, but uh, it should be interesting to see where the 49ers go. Um, but overall, I do see them as overachievers this year. Yeah, but – their defense shined, but yeah, Ryan, this is going to be quite the exciting Super Bowl. I mean, quite the exciting playoffs already. I I mean, I would love to see the Bengals win, but either team wins. I just want a good game. Uh, Talking about exciting, too. Talking about exciting. Your Washington football team has a new name. If you want to touch on that as we name. wind down this episode. Thoughts we on the Commanders. Thoughts on the Washington Commanders, David, as a fan. Okay. Okay. So if we let's say this, I'm it's better than the football team. Uh, I'm gonna look up the list of the uh, top ten name changes choices because they had a, they released a top ten. All right. So it was the Red Wolves or whatever. That was they want to stay away from the red. I knew that because that's what was obviously the Red Hogs. Don't really love the hog part. Also red. The defenders, meh. Admirals, meh. Armada, no. Presidents, cheesy. So in my opinion, out of that list, that was definitely the best team name option. So very, I'm going to say, happy for the future. Uh, Now that we finally have a name, hail to the commanders, commanders, commies. I don't think that's weird. You guys are very champ-based too, so we'll see what Washington does about it. I like it. I mean, out of the names that you mentioned, I think the jerseys I can catch on to at some point, um, I think it's the best out of the options that they had so far. And it's an Mm -hmm. exciting new step as this team tries to rebuild. Oh, definitely an exciting new step. And uh, I've seen some things that, like some pieces of merchandise coming out. It it doesn't look terrible. Definitely Mm -hmm. might kind of dabble my... uh, dabble my credit card into some of those. Obviously now get up to date with the Washington commanders man is that weird to say uh definitely excited for the future uh hopefully uh snyder can depart shortly that would be nice uh, but a healthy chase young maybe a new quarterback well a cap space we got i'd love to go into more detail once we get into this offseason but another pretty significant story in the nfl 22 seasons seven super bowls feel like we can't not talk about it. Tom Brady officially announced his retirement this week. Um, now he's obviously all on social media. He's posting about it. Um, it's a weird day. It's a weird week, definitely, to see Tom Brady not in the NFL anymore. He's just felt like he's been there forever. Um, so for Tom, great career, obviously. Gotta love what he did for the Patriots. He'll always be a Patriot uh, in our hearts here in New England. So can't thank him enough for all he's done. He really made so many people just – fall in love with the competitiveness of the game and willing to work hard um, to achieve your goals, not only in football, but really whatever you set your mind to. So, I mean, his story, there's never going to be another Tom Brady. So I think we can just appreciate it for what it was. Um, and just, I mean, he's the greatest of all time for a reason. So, um, and I know Ethan talked about it a little bit. This episode, as t- he was huge here in the Patriots. He was huge here in New England. Um, so really just can't understate that enough. And 
I mean, once again, thank you, 12, for all you've done here in New England. So, David, I don't know what your thoughts are as a non-Patriots fan, but definitely a lot of love for Tom, even though he left us for the Bucks. Yeah, so here's my thing. I am growing up, never loved Tom Brady, but once he became a Buck, I think it was more just him being a Patriot and that, like, stigma being a Patriot. Everybody hates the Patriots or loves the Patriots. I don't care. You love the Patriots. I don't really love them. But my more take is he's such an icon for this game. And as you said, there's going to be nobody near his story, let alone, okay, yay, won seven Super Bowls. Like, there's guys who can win a lot of Super Bowls, but he was the 199th draft pick, this unathletic kid from University of Michigan, great football school, but he really had nothing to his name. And then, bang. Greatest quarterback, greatest football player to ever touch a field. But a couple interesting things I saw with his retirement. Obviously, our boy Schefter announced it early somehow. Just he's incredible. Uh, way to go, Adam Schefter. And then he once he finally announced his retirement two days later, his post, I mean, the most Tom Brady ever uh, thing ever to do is make it a social media post. Very, very, very briefly talked about your New England Patriots, where 20 of his seasons were in six of his Super Bowls, where I feel like well, I don't... He, he put together an eight page, like an eight slide. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like a letter almost. Yeah, he didn't mention the Patriots once. He didn't mention yeah. New England once, which obviously caused headlines. He did release a video today in which he thanked the Patriots, um, not thanked, but thanked his fans with Patriots videos. So it's good to see him acknowledge. He acknowledged Bill Belichick, um, calling him. It was an honor to play for the greatest coach of all time. Um, so that was nice to see and everything. But, um, yeah, I think he knew that was going to happen. It's very Tom Brady like to make headlines on social media when he can. Um, it's just Tom being Tom one final time. I don't, I don't think we're going to hear very much of him now that he's retired. I think he's one of those guys that's going to kind of fade in. I don't see him doing like a Manning casting or anything. I don't see him getting the TV. I think he's one of those guys who's going to be content with not coaching, not really being in the NFL spotlight, maybe trying to find some other ventures. I could still see him in the spotlight, just not in a football sense. I see something very similar with you. I see him being like a Derek Jeter, an owner, Michael Jordan owner. I mean, he's been growing his Brady brand a lot. Uh, he, has, he has a thing with the college athletes. He's starting to diversify his like outside football career, which is honestly great. Uh, respect the guy a lot. Hell of a career, just in, incredible player. But it's, I forget who touched on this, but it was nice to see his career go out when he was still performing. There's a good chance he still wins the MVP this year. There's a solid chance. I think he's second. It's between him and Rodgers and then a big fall off. Right now, I'd give it to Rodgers, but it's certainly yeah. the possibility still there. Yeah, I wonder. If, I mean, you think that you think that shifts at all with voters? I don't know when do they vote. That's a good question. I I don't know. I think that's, that's a good decided. question. Yeah, because I don't know. I don't like how it comes this weekend, even the, or whatever. No, next weekend. Even though, like, honestly, I would change a lot of my picks. Like Joe Burrow might be my MVP. But that's a whole other story. Yeah. Comeback play of the year has got to be shiesty, though. Yeah, I think Joe Burrow. We'll talk about that more into our offseason. But Burrow certainly comeback player of the year. Brady can be MVP, but really overall, just a great career uh, for number twelve. 
Mm -hmm. Overall great career. And yeah, that's about all that's been going on. And a, a very eventful week in the NFL. Oh, wait, Brian Flores. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, um, 10 cents. I think what he's doing is great. Um, this is a tough rule. This is a tough topic, too. Uh, the new Rooney rule is there to, you know, trying to get more uh, black representation. I mean, we're two white kids talking about it, so we can't can't speak on it too much in, in his sense that he can. But um, I think it's a good rule to have in place. I do I could see it being misused and hearing what he's hearing now about how, um, you know, they're just interviewing them, not really with any intention of even thinking about hiring them just to fill a qualification. It makes sense to me. And it, it logically seems like, you know, if you have a rule in place, that certainly could happen. It's a good loophole. So I'm glad he's exploiting it. And I'm also glad that, you know, he's still in the running for a couple of head coaching positions, although he's suing and making these lawsuits. Yeah. And I saw him and Hugh, Jackson also talked out about it, but him specifically, I, I think great for him for talking about his experiences. Not a lot of people would have the guts to. Uh, and I mean, just the whole situation in Miami, uh, I don't believe that, uh, what's his name? Steven Ross should be the owner of the Miami Dolphins anymore. I think what he did was pretty terrible. He, paid, he was willing to pay him to lose. And basically, when you lose, you lose your job and lose your chance of getting another job. That's a whole nother story. But the whole he was getting interviewed for a job that he knew he wasn't going to get. Uh, and even in the lawsuit, he said, I know I'm risking my chance of ever getting a head coaching job, which is kudos to him. And uh, I can, as you said, we're two white kids talking about it, but I can only imagine the struggles he's going through. Well, I think when you talk about Stephen Ross, too, that's a huge problem in the league today. There are zero black owners. There's no black owners of NFL teams. And obviously, the higher you go, the more authority and power you have over organization and over a league. Um, so that's something I think researching up on it and listening to what Flores has to say, that's a big change that just someone needs to be made. The Broncos are up for sale. Maybe someone wants to dabble in that. Um, but you talk about Snyder earlier. We talked about Ross now. There's a lot of owners who just aren't morally and ethically 100%. And I think that's what the sport needs is just guys who want to do the right thing and want to um, make change. And um, obviously if those comments are true about Ross. If they're true about the giants, what Flores had to say, Elway and the Broncos, like there's a lot of shady stuff that happens. Um, so just doubling down on, you know, how good it is that Flores can try to exploit it. And, you know, he's willing to put his coaching uh, career on the line. I don't think, you know, he should have the shoulder turned to him for head coaching spots. He's a really good head coach. Um, but I, I think it's important that these issues are talked about. Yeah, and very important. Even some stats, like you even said, there's only there's zero owners that are African-American in the NFL. There's one head coach that's African-American, and that's Mike Tomlin. Uh, used to be seven like, or so, too. It used to be Yeah, I know. I definitely feel that the NFL needs is going to have an old life their eyes are going to be opened up after this uh, as they should be. Definitely. There's got to, it's not even just, it's less the NFL. It's more of the organizations and their owners. I mean, you mentioned some of the guys like, I mean, first guy that comes to my mind that makes questionable decisions, Dan Snyder. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot that we don't know that happens behind the scenes at the NFL. I have a feeling a lot of information is going to come out. Yeah. But, it could, could be another bombshell. We'll wait to see, but, 
overall just just taking it day by day with all the new evidence that comes out. Exactly, and just to conclude, good for good for uh, Brian Flores for talking out about this. I know a lot of people wouldn't do it, and it's really sucks what he's going through. But he he good for him for going out and speaking about it. Absolutely. But that's all the time we have for today. Special thanks to Ethan Hurwitz of Gillette Nation for coming on to NFL 365, a great guest. Uh, and Ryan, the next time we talk, it might be Super Bowl Sunday. It might be. It might be. We'll try and look to get a Super Bowl preview episode out within the next week. Um, but, yeah, it's coming closer and closer. Exciting times here in the NFL. Yeah, definitely exciting times. And thanks for listening to another episode. Ready, Ryan? Three, two, one. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to another episode. Have a great day.